This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the podcast. I like saying that as if you didn't know you were listening to a podcast since it's on a podcast platform that you're listening to it. It's fine. Okay. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing yet rarely seen lately, J.M. Paget. She's like an elusive creature. And our guest today is the amazing C.K. Westbrook. Welcome. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking, shall we? So I have in my Drinking with Authors swag, you'll get some of this, C.K., for being on the show. I have um, grapefruit juice, and I put gin instead of vodka in it this time. Not the best choice. Now I know to put vodka. It's fine. It's it's gin and juice. It's fine. I've done this before, but for some reason, it's 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 not the best choice I could have made. And I have water to hydrate myself because one should have water. Um, Jam, what incredibly boring thing are you drinking tonight? I am drinking tea. I am drinking orange pico tea in my fan- fabulous mug because I'm boring. Very cool. CK, what are you drinking that's hopefully not as boring as that? Um, I'm kind of boring. I'm drinking a Pinot Noir. I'm a red red wine drinker. And this is from one of my favorite um, wineries in California. So it's awesome. It's called Etude. And I'm drinking it out of my Alanis Morissette Reasons I Drink mug. Ooh, I love that. I love, <laughs> love that. It. I love that. Oh my gosh. The amount of times I listened to Jagged Little Pill, I was thinking about that the other day. Mm-hmm. Like I used to have an hour, almost hour commute when that um, thing came out. And I used to just play that entire album on, oh. Even the secret the song, the secret song at the end. Yeah. Oh it's my a fantastic God. album. She's fantastic. I've seen her recently in concert. She's still got it. She's still got that voice. I'm going to see the play soon. The musical, Jagged Little Pill. I'm curious. There's a play? There's a musical called Jagged Little Pill. I had no idea, but apparently... See, now I'm writing on a post-it. This is how it starts. I was telling you. It was was on Broadway, and I think in January, it just started moving, right? So it's going out to all these other places. Yeah, I have season tickets to the the Strauss Center here, and it's one of the shows that's included. So I was like, "Ooh, a lot of more things." When, when okay, we're gonna talk, JM, because <laughs> I'm gonna need to go to that. I'm gonna need to go to that with you. I'm gonna have to. Okay, so this is not about jagged little pill, though. This is about C.K. Westbrook. For the audience out there who may not know you, what do you write? Science fiction. Uh, I've, I've written a science fiction series called the Impact Series. Uh, two books have been published: the shooting, and book two is the collision. And book three, the judgment, will be published on March thirtieth. Very cool. So this will be released um, after that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your journey, though. When did you start doing writing? I am not a writer. I, I was. Um, 
I'm, I love to read, <laughs> but I would write occasionally. I wrote some stories when I was like in college and I would have these fantastic ideas and I'd sit down and start writing and writing. And then they never came to anything, mostly just because I was really busy because I never considered myself a writer. I always considered myself a storyteller because people always tell me I tell like really amazing stories. And I think there's like three categories, right? There's author, storyteller, writer. And I thought always I'm a storyteller, not a writer. But during the pandemic, had a little bit extra time, had some, I thought they were really cool ideas. And then I just started writing. Okay. So that, so you're a pandemic writer. I've decided there's like a cluster of people that are pandemic writers, like that, you know, they come on the show, they're like, I decided to write in 2020. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. And you have two books. So you sat down and you started to write. At what point did you go, I'm going to try to get this published? Because sitting down and writing is very different than I'm going to actually try to do something with this work. Right. Um, a few years ago, I, I wrote another book and it was an environmental book. It was more like about work. And um, and I, you know, did research on getting agents. I did research on self-publishing and publishing. So I had done a lot of that. And I realized how hard it was, of course. And I was like, oh, it's so difficult and extremely um complicated if you don't know what you're doing. So I didn't with these, when I, when I sat down with this to, to write the shooting, I was like, yeah, I'll try it again. I'll, you know, who knows how long the pandemic's going to last. I can see if any agents are interested. I can see. And when I started writing it, what I, what I realized it was becoming a, a series, which was like really weird because it was like one book done, cook the next one. And I just thought it was just this bizarre, like coming together. And I have a friend and she's, I mean, this is DC. I know a lot of people that write, but most of them write nonfiction. Um, and very like serious things. So, um, but she kind of pushed me in the direction and helped me find fiction avenues. And then um, her friend found me like the publishing. So I'm like, like, I just feel like I kind of stumbled into a fantastic thing. <laughs> so, um, it, and it was so fast. Like I literally sat down and started writing the shooting. I want to say like the lockdown started in March, right? So by like April or May, I was kind of bored and I was like writing, writing and and then like a year later or two years later, one of them had published and it's been, it's just been really fast, <laughs> crazy. Well, and, fast. and that's cool. Cause that's um, the exception generally and not the rule to writing. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you, you started to go on this journey. You're getting your books published. You find a publisher that does series based it's four horsemen, whatever. I'm going to just throw that out there. And, um, but what made you decide, wait, I can continue this? Because it's one thing to go from one book to maybe two or three. But what was the change for you to make that happen? Well, the shooting, breaking apart the shooting and the collision into two was like, I don't know, weirdly natural. And I was like, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, here's a third one. And then we're going to wrap it up because that makes sense, right? That series are in threes, at least to me. I know they're not. I mean, I'm just looking at our collection. There's lots of series which go on for books. books. And then I was like, um, and I don't even know if Jen knows this, but I'm like, oh yeah, I did. Like, I was like, I'm going to do another one. And this is like five years after the shooting. And then I'm going to do another one. And then like, so the world just got like bigger. And then I'm like, I'm going to back up. I'm going to write another one about this. So I have another idea for another series that's just dying to come out. Um, but I'm going to do this one and then I'll, and then I'll look at that one, you know, like, but every once in a while I start writing about that one. And I'm like, I have to let that one go. Like, I don't want to lose the ideas. I don't want to lose the thoughts and the characters. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the world you created because you're sci-fi and that's, you know, we, we talk to a lot of different sci-fi authors, but let's talk about the premise of your book. So without, we're not giving away everything because everybody needs to buy the book, but let's talk about kind of the premise of the book. Sure. So when I'm like explaining it to you, I always say science fiction always I don't know if it's a trope or it's just the way it is, but there's always a catastrophe or catastrophic worldwide event. And it can be a virus or a comet or alien space invasion or Skynet or a mushroom. I don't know if you're watching the HBO show, The Fungus. Last of Us. Last of Us. It's so good. Um, so it's so good, happens. but that is a terrifying premise that it's plant life. I mean, it's one thing viruses, like I feel like we've gotten to a point where, you know, COVID, we saw viruses, but zombie viruses, we go, okay, that's transmitting your bitten or everybody has it, you have to die. But then you're like plant life that can talk to each other over miles. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't like <laughs> Too that. much, too far. <laughs> even, even when I go to put a mushroom into my salad, I look at it differently now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So there's always a catastrophic event, right? So in my series, the catastrophic event is when almost every single gun owner in the world turns their weapon on themselves and a terrifying 15-minute window <laughs> changes everything, right? And, um, and then everyone's afraid and there's like crisis and then a hero rises up and you have to find out what happens Um so in a weird way, it's traditional science fiction, right? I mean, that's that's how most science fiction starts. But it's an unusual, I think the twist is that it's um, basically a huge shooting, a worldwide global mass shooting. And okay. that's like, the makes it more, I don't know, original than some of the other stuff. But your world is also like very realistic, right? It's it's our world. It's co like, why, why do that instead of taking this event and putting it in a more traditional distant future, you know, sci-fi, why, why the now? Um, it's interesting. Like when I was actually doing it, I wasn't even sure why, but then I started watching all these, um, like it's like TikTok. They, they define it as what is it, our world, but, and I had never really heard that as an explanation. The shooting was already done and, and moving along. And I was like, Oh my God, that is exactly what it is our world but for this thing you know like this this catastrophic event and i like if, if everything had to, the pandemic made it work you know like the, the world was in a certain way the mindset was in a certain way and having been I, i'm a middle age so it's like i like just remembered like 9 11 and remembered like the 2008 catastrophic economic collapse and like how people reacted and responded within one day, two days, five days, 10 days after such an event happens. And, um, and it's an interesting thing because it's a shooting. I don't want to go too much into it, but it's like, there's a lot of levels of like, how much does our world change and how much doesn't it, you know? So um, I didn't even think about it until way after the fact. I'm like, yeah, this is just our world. Because even like when I'm selling the books, like at local events or like, uh, holiday fairs and people are like, oh, it's in DC. And then people are like, yeah, I recognize this or I recognize that. And people love that, right? They love the localness. It's, and a lot of it takes place in Florida. So I feel like, yeah, it's definitely our world. But, <laughs> but, right. Yeah. It makes it, it's very be believable. I mean, you have the, the, 
catastrophe that brings it all together. But just those little believable details, it's like, oh yeah, I was alive. You know, I remember that we were all doing those things. So I think it makes it resonate in a different way. So the first book gets published for you and you have it in your hand. So first of all, what was that like? Because if you've done another book before, then you have already had it in your hot little hands at some point, but was it different having this one? Um, no, I'm sorry. I never got that one published. I oh, just it never tried. got published. I oh, pitched I'm it to sorry. some agents and people were like, oh, you have to pitch it to like a hundred agents. And then you have to do this. And you have to do that. I just was learning the process. I never really got anywhere with it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So no, this was totally, that's why I was like, well, it's a very difficult process, but I have some time. So let me, <laughs> let me try it again, you know? And I, and I was way more excited about the shooting than I was that, that thing I did, did a few years ago. So I was like, um, I think I was more um, determined, you know, like to, to try to find a way to get it published. I got it. So then it's published and you actually physically get in your hand, your book. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, dream come true. I mean, I was just like, like yelling to my neighbors, dream come true. And then I had like this big launch party at my friend's condo and I was just kept saying dream come true. It's hard to like explain, but it's, that's literally what I felt like. No, and totally. even with the second one, I was still like, oh my God, the dream is still coming true. So, and I mean, I have another career and I have like this other stuff, but like, this is like awesome. Well, with that, so you get your, what about reviews? So you had a, a, a thing at your friend's party, you've taken this places to sell it. What has it been like? Do you look at your reviews? Of course. Yeah. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say of course. I'm sure some writers don't. I no, there are writers that don't, and there are writers that run away on fire from them and want nothing to do with reviews. So I I love looking at the reviews, especially when they're like something like it's so deep and like it has different elements, right? It's it's gun violence and it's feminism and it's environmental. And it's just interesting to me when I read the reviews to see what people hit on that they say they enjoyed or they liked about it. You know, like these are the issues of the day, or you know, so. No, I, I I like looking at the reviews. I mean, I wish I got more, but I think every writer wants more reviews, right? So, um, and I, whenever anyone says to me, oh, I read it, I really liked it, I'm like, please do a review, you know? So I'm trying to encourage people to do that. So um, have what? So what do you do with your reviews as you're reading them? Like, which ones, has anything shocked you about what people have said about your book? Like, not in a bad way. And when I say shock, I don't mean negative, but... Sometimes I think as authors, we we have the story, we're, we're telling it, we're doing this. We have this whole thought process about what this book will mean to the world when it gets out there. And then somebody <laughs> comes up and says something completely like, and you're like, what? Is this a metaphor for what? You know, <laughs> so how, how has that been for you? So far, I, like I... I I mean, some of them are like, I enjoyed this book. I'm going to read the next one or I'm looking forward to the next one, like something simple like that. And, but the ones that are like more thoughtful are like really, really encouraging. Like these are the crisis of our day articulated into one 200 page book hitting on so many things. And like, I was even reading, I was um, with my family at Christmas and I was reading one of the reviews that had just come up to like my sister and brother-in-law. And he was like, that's what your book's about? Because he was like shocked by the review. And I was like, why don't you go read it? And then you could tell me if you agree with the review or not. Um, I don't think he has yet. But it's it's some of the, the reviews are just really, really, really nice. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get bad reviews soon. I know it. Like every, it's art, right? So subjective. Someone's going to hate it and someone's not going to like it. And that's okay. Because I feel like I've already been kind of cushioned and really protected by so many good reviews. And it's not that many. I know like people get thousands of reviews, but I'm thrilled by it. No. And you, you hit on a point because I actually kind of measure a bit of success of a book by obviously the quantity of reviews, but if you only get positive reviews always, I think that ends up being a little suspect, mm-hmm. a little like, uh, not that it can't be good. Do not get me wrong. I love the authors that have a lot of five-star, but uh, we always tell people on this show, like, go look up your favorite popular books, like ones that you think are the greatest book and you're going to see negative reviews. You just are. And so I feel like it's almost um, like cresting a wave when you get into the diversity of reviews, right? Obviously, you want to maintain around, sorry, I have Cat Jungle behind me and (laughs) who's like, I'm going to be involved in this podcast, whether you like it or not. Um, But I think you you get to a certain point of reviews where you want to maintain that four-star-ish average right and above, which... You really have four or five stars because there's I, they say there's like a 3.5, but there there isn't because you can't put 3.5 stars on Amazon. It's not a thing. So that's like a made up number. But um, I think having it up there, but I think there's a certain point where there's a volume coming in and then you have a diversity in the type of reviews. And it's totally OK to get a negative review if it's somebody just didn't. It wasn't their thing or whatever. I also tell people don't and review the books if you it's not your thing because who gives a shit your opinion if it's not your thing at all so i love the, like the romance readers who are like there's kissing in this book like what did you look at the cover like are you shocked by that did you look at the cover of the two people kissing on it right they, exactly. like, that should, you know Pretty it's cool. called kissing in the block yeah you give it away how could they um i'm curious because okay so you wrote another book and your background is more research-based. So how did you start? Like, did you have just an idea and then you went and did an outline or did you do research? Like, what was your process for coming up with this? Um, That's another weird thing. So I live in DC and I like participate in a lot of protests and rallies. Um, Like I'm an activist. So and I go to a lot of um, gun rallies, right? With like Marjorie Stoneman Douglas kids and a million March. And like, so, and it's just, it has nothing to do with my job. I'm just, you know, want to help uh, stop the gun violence. And every time I go there, I always hear people say, there's too many guns. You're never going to get rid of them. There's too many guns. Might as well get a gun. You got to get a gun to protect yourself because there's too many guns. We're never going to solve this problem. In the world I work in, we hear this with climate change and the environment. It's destroyed now. It's destroyed now. You might as well do something. And it just, Oh, like the nihilism and the the giving up and the apathy, it just drives me nuts. So here it is the pandemic, right? I'm drinking like five o'clock ends and I, I can't do my rallies. I'm not going to my protests. I'm not organizing something. I'm not like, so I have this time. And I said, and all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, I thought of a way to take the power out of guns. <laughs> and then I sat down and I was like, wow, sometimes the imagination can, can solve massive problems. And I just thought it was for fun. So I started saying that. And like, I literally would be tight. I'm not a good typer. Um, and I would be telling the computer, I'm like, slow down, slow down, slow down. My brain would be moving so fast. I couldn't type fast enough. And my husband would be like, why are you talking to someone? I'm like, stop. So I'd be like, shh, 
So that book, like literally, I feel like it came out in like two weeks or, you know, it's probably like a month, the first draft, which was crap. It needed to be totally edited and then circulate around. And then I sat on it for a while to like digest it. But I feel like it was kind of like the intensity of the darkness of the moment and the, um, and, and it just, just came out really fast. And I was like, I love the story. I really want the story to get told. So, um, I did research. Absolutely. I do research in my job, but the spark for it was purely imagination based off of absolute frustration in the sense that people keep saying, we're never going to be able to stop any of these horrible things. And I was like, Oh yeah. Kind of like Skynet. Oh, that's funny. Cause one of my friends, she was like, I'm not going to read this because I have guns and I love guns. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I mean, we're friends and clearly you're, you know, have guns. Uh, do you hate machines? Like you can't watch Terminator. Right. Cause I'm like, I like machines, but so like, you, like, but guns is different. Guns is a very like sensitive area. And then she finally read it and she liked it because she understood it better. That is funny how people have a definite reaction. It's very polarizing when you say, oh, it's about gun violence, as opposed to like you read science fiction, you still have, you know, all of the, you have a Google in your house. Like, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very true. And it's such a hot topic because I think that also the way, you know, the media is feeding us information. That's how I'm going to say it now, because I don't think we're looking for it. I think it's being walked in the door with various agendas. And this is not a conspiracy theorist, me, but literally look at look at Google's algorithms if you want to see anything. Um, how you get your information is very specific. Yes, it's very specific. But I think it's very interesting that this is so polarized as as a topic in general to what you just said, Jen, like it is amazing because there's only a few things you can touch on. Just saying one thing goes, Oh my God, my rights, blah, blah, blah. Like it's like a match on gasoline, you know, Absolutely. people have opinions on things, but generally it's not as violent. <laughs> That's ironic. Isn't it? Isn't that crazy? Cause people are also like, I don't want to read a book about violence. And I'm like, you love murder mystery shows you like war you are like into the deepest darkest psycho things you read horror i can't read horror i have like an overactive imagination so i can't sleep at night if i see like a stephen king movie or something so i'm like and i know that as i'm like ever since i was a kid just stay away but i'm like there's a weird everyone has their own definition about what is violence yeah no i agree a hundred percent I agree. Okay, guys, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Drinking with Authors. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you had. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, Weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about, and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice, or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. We're back. We were solving the world's problems, but now we're back. And there's still some alcohol involved, which I appreciate. Okay, so 
now that you've endeavored down this path and you're a writer, legitimately a writer, because you have books and they're published and that's a thing. So you have the I'm a writer moniker. What's it like now, um, especially as the um, pandemic has shifted, it hasn't disappeared, but it's shifted to where more people are going out and stuff, you know, like we're, we're somewhat getting back to whatever the new normal is um, of existence, I would say. Um, I'm not ignoring the pandemic, but people go out in public now where there was a time nobody went out, you know, but I have a sense is I'm going to just throw this in because it's kind of interesting to your point in your books and what the world was like. I was in Atlanta um, for a little mini conference, right? That was, um, and I met a friend down there and there was probably like 50 people at it, but, um, and we were in Atlanta in um, September of last year, Jen and myself. And one thing I didn't realize back then, Jen, but I realized now is if you go down there during the week, it's, it's like a ghost town, downtown Atlanta. Like a lot of these major cities, I think are like, People New York City is like Manhattan. Back. Manhattan is like that. Down, It's banker's hours. If you're there on the weekend or in the late evening and there's no dinner, right? Everything is closed. I was just in LA for a conference and everything was closed on the weekend. There was. It's definitely a Monday to Friday. Only people who are in offices are there and it's a ghost town otherwise. Well, so. you, and people weren't really in offices. I was in Manhattan because I went to see, you know, our favorite comedian mm-hmm. and, um, I was there for like Thursday and Friday during the day and there was nobody there. It's very interesting because our new normal has ghost towns of downtown areas and things like that, where if you had written that that was going to be the case five years ago, everybody would have thought like, this is poppycock. That's never going to happen. You know? So it just aligns with with your book because the way you wrote wrote your books, it's not. Um, I'm totally gone on a tangent here, but it's uh, an alternate reality that is very close to what could be real. Versus, you know, you look at Back to the Future, and we don't have flying cars or hovering skateboards, which we really should have had right now. Right. So. So if the pandemic hadn't happened, do you think this would have, like, would you have had this idea? I honestly, I honestly don't know because it was a mix, I think, of having my brain relax at night. Like I said, I was not overscheduled. So I actually just got to like, and I have all of these crazy ideas. Like I said, I'm a storyteller. Like I can like get drunk at a bar and be entertaining 50 people and they'll remember me like five years later. I just never had the time to sit and actually put it on paper or on a computer and so I don't know, you know, like, and I'm, I'm just so happy it did because like I said, it's environment, it's gun violence, it's bad behavior, it's people being mean to each other. And also that all came out in the pandemic too, right? Like we, I thought we were all going to be kinder and like, we would reevaluate health insurance because we're all in it together and we would reevaluate. And then we saw how dark it got. And I'm a dark person. I like, I don't like nihilist. I'm, I'm full of hope that the world is going to be better. But I will also be the one at the party who's like, oh, don't eat that fish. It's endangered. It's going to be extinct. The oceans are going to collapse in 2040. We're all going to die because, and, and that's my science and my background, like work. People are always like, okay, CK, calm down a second. I'm like, oh, you're right, right, right. Because I just like, I will go into that dark place. And like the books allowed me to go there too, without having to feel like I was like, um, taking people down. Cause I mean, it is the, like, I would say the shooting is dark and scary. 
collision is dark and scary. Judgment, like, just wait and see what happens. It's not like all gloom and doom. But even though it's dark and scary, you have moments of, like, real compassion and humanity. So it is still hopeful. Like so it's it's real because we do have moments of compassion and humanity, you know, and you did see many people coming out and trying to do something better when the pandemic was happening. And then you had the people that were denying that it was even happening, which is really interesting. And it's interesting when you go around and get the perspectives from different people in the cities like it was very different in New York, for instance, than it was in many other places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and but- Erica, like you were saying, in D.C., we have not come back. The city, like the government employees are still working from home because they feel safer and they enjoy it now. Like the commute into the city has been is a nightmare for people. The metro is, there's huge issues, which only people in D.C. really know about. Um, and so when you're downtown, it feels like, pre-pandemic Sunday at two o'clock on a Tuesday at nine, you know, like, and I, I was in New York city a few times and it's the same thing. People have not come back. People are living and functioning, but they have not fully come back. And in some ways it's better. Like I feel like quality of life for people to work at home. Some people is better than for them to deal with the commute and the stress. So the world is reevaluating and, and DC is, 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 is not back. It's changing. We are in a, a massive period of change. Yeah. And I I hope it continues to change. Like one of the things, because my previous existence, and I've talked about this on the podcast, was as an HR executive, right? And I love that employees for the first time in a very, very long time, back to what is it, Norma Ray kind of thing, um, went, yeah, no, we're staying home. Like it, not everybody got to do it. And I'm not saying, you know, there were some people that employers, blah, blah, blah. But it was really funny, some of the news stories I would see and some of the executives that I worked with that would say things like, well, look, Goldman Sachs is going back. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, that is not going to happen. You won't hear about it, but they're not going to get all those employees back. That is never going to happen. And enough of them, like, it's if one person is like, now nah, I'm not coming back, it's one thing. But when you have 60% to 80% of people going no, it's fine because we still are like in an unprecedented unemployment rate, meaning like there are, I think right now, like 9 million or 11 million more jobs than there are people, even if hypothetically everybody came off unemployment and was able to fit in those careers, which I'm not even going to do career assessment, but they're just, there's more jobs than we even have people to work the jobs. So it's such an unprecedented time. And I, I so loved it that entire um, groups of people went, oh, this is what it's like to have dinner with my kids, or this is what it was like to do yoga classes at lunch or take my dog out or what, you know, whatever is your sanity mm-hmm. and I able to like go, I'm not going back. Thanks. It, get, it gave people more agency and I hate to be doom and gloom, but like the Black Plague did the same thing. You know, all, it, it killed what a third of the population. The remaining peasants were like, "No, I'm not going to work for free anymore. You're going to pay me a lot more." So I think part of the, for a certain part of society, it definitely helped. Now, of course, if you're in the service industry, you were screwed the entire way, all the way through. It didn't, except for yes and no. So 
I'm going to argue this point because here's something that I've seen that changed. The service industry, especially fast food and stuff, was operating a lot off of minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Like you were lucky maybe if you got $10 an hour. It has changed now. It's true with restaurants everywhere that, um, you know, I'm in a rural part of North Carolina. It's not like a, a you know, little small town kind of thing. It's a college town. We got every fast food restaurant. People are always surprised how many fast food restaurants considering, by the way, Jen, I found out how many people technically live in this town is 3,800. Yeah, I know. It's so tiny. But um, the fast food restaurants up here in this little town in North Carolina are paying $21 an hour. That is unheard of. You didn't see that pre-pandemic, even in the big cities like New York and stuff. People were not making $21 an hour at a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. You know, the service industry, yes, they had to work through it. And there was a lot of that. And I'm not taking any of that away. But a lot of them went, oh, you want me to come in and do this? Yeah, you're going to have to pay me a lot more to come do this. Pay me a lot more. So with all of the, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull us back into author mode we should, a little because- bit. Sorry, we went up. Well, it's all about the pandemic and everything. But do you think now that we're kind of shifting back, like, are you still able to work from home or are you going to the office, CK? I am working from home. Like I work for a small nonprofit. So we shut our office down because there's no point in affording it. And we have just completely readjusted everything. Um, And we have grassroots people like all across the country. So we had a lot of people doing Zoom and remote working and virtual working beforehand. So it wasn't as shocking to us as it was to the service industry, of course, and the government and any place that was required to be at a certain place. And also... um, I would say this, I, in North Carolina, like I did a, like a book signing in North Carolina and I was supposed to go to this small little adorable town where I have friends and they're like, no, 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 you're going to go to Winston-Salem. And I did really well in Winston-Salem. <laughs> like this was like one of my first ones. I think I sold like 20 books and I was like thrilled. And it was like, but they were like, no, no, no. Like because <laughs> North Carolina is like so progressive in some places and so very conservative in others. I mean, I'm from Florida, so I totally get that. Like you can cross a, a county line and the world will shift. Um, but yeah, that's, and again, because it's about guns, they were just like, the minute you mention guns, there's going to be an opinion. And I was in this too, like, um, the world shifted for, uh, uh, hospitality management and teachers, but I feel like we're still in this clash of the Titans. Like, I feel like the corporations are still trying to crush them. And I, so I get so excited every time I see a union pop up because I'm just like, please, please do the union because standing on your own doesn't cut it. And I feel like they're still like, oh, we're going to put inflation on top of you. And we're going to put this on top of you. And they're, they're trying to break the backbone of this empowered, um, I don't want to say just working class, but also middle class, like teachers deserve more, but people are still upset. Like they're like, I don't want to pay $25. I don't want it. I don't want my burger to increase in price because, but we're, what you're challenging is corporate profit. And that's where the cracking is. And I don't think we've totally cracked the bolt back of the, con- the, the conventional thinking that shareholders are more important than the employees. So anyway, I'm just saying we're still in this crisis change mode. And I really hope that the workers in the middle class persevere and win. Me too. I, I think it will because it is, I, I do get it and people are upset, but it's so funny because people go, well, the price of eggs. And I go, well, that's because you're paying all the people on the egg production line now, like a living wage to do their job. So, 
you know, if we had started doing this and increased them incrementally over the last, I don't know, 30 years, we wouldn't be arguing over $5 eggs because everybody would be used to it. It's just now we're doing like gas pedal and now it's $5 eggs. And people are like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, no, if people can pay their bills now, I will buy $5 eggs. You know, I'm fine with that. Um, I know it can be hard on some people, but I'm hoping that they're, um, they're adjusting themselves, you know? Look at us getting off on this tangent again, Jen. Well, well what I was trying, I was trying to pull it back to has ha- how does writing fit into your schedule? Did it did it shift at all? Like you know, if you were all at home and then you had to start driving back or going to different things, like there are more events happening now, so you're working that back into your schedule. Like how how's your writing schedule fitting into life these days? That's a good question. It's way more stressful because I, during the pandemic, like I said, I could write for hours and blocks on time. Couldn't go anywhere on Saturday. In DC, it was massive lockdown. I could write page after page after page. And now, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the after, I wish I keep thinking if I just had like two weeks to just sit, I could finish it and get it out the door. Um, it is harder really because there's so much, so much more pull on time. Um, and yes, and I, I'm one of those people that I like to write like in a huge block of time. Like I like to just get in there and just like, don't bother me. And I love that. But so it is more difficult post pandemic. I'm not saying I want another pandemic, but again, as someone who works on the endangered species issues, we all know, right. That all viruses, all pandemics come from nature and going back to your chicken thing. Um, the chickens are right now having a pandemic and all it's going to take is that that bird flu has already jumped to three mammals. If it jumps to a human, we are back in a pandemic. So it's not, it's absolutely the, the employee should be paid more, but the abuse of the animal and the un, un, non-hygienic and like we are on the brink of another pandemic. This is my, my friends are like, you're going to go right down to the dark hole again. I'm like, cause it sucks knowing what I know. Right. Like I literally, worked on the Preventing Future Pandemics Act for three years. So it's very frustrating to me to just sit here and be like, we're not doing what we need to do. And we might be back in another pandemic really soon. And then I would be able to write all the time. <laughs> silver lining. I, I mean, I'm a silver Florida. lining. Did you see? I we found don't even a silver have, lining. Right. I was like, I'm in Florida. We don't have COVID here. Right. We, you know how you get rid of it is just stop reporting all your numbers. That's just what you do. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, what a dirty hole we'll go down with that one. Huh? I know, I know. All right. <laughs> Bring it back, Erica. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I tell people, and I'm going to go back to writing because otherwise we could go down this for so long. But um, there was a show on Netflix, and I don't even know if you can find it anymore, called Pandemic, before the pandemic came out. Mm-hmm. And it was literally talking about Um, The people who go, and you probably know way more about this, so I'm liberal arts, diet, coking, one calorie of information, because whatever, because I watched this, and it was taught, the literally the slogan was a gentleman who was talking about going and inspecting some of these animal facilities where animals would get sick, and then they'd have to destroy the population of, you know, animals and stuff to try to contain the outbreak of whatever, and the opening line was, it's not a matter of if we will have a pandemic, it's a matter of when. And then this this aired, I'm sure it was filmed a couple of years before that, right? Because that's hello timing. And it was six months after that, the pandemic hit. And I thought that was so interesting because again, what we were speaking to earlier, knowledge, 
knowledge is power, you know, actually learning things, but nobody wants to do that. That's way too much effort. So at the time I was sharing my office with a a person with a master's in public health. So I was teaching and we were in person and she kept saying, she was like, we're not coming back. You don't really like when you leave your class on Thursday, tell them that you're not coming back and prepare them to move online. And I was like, no, you know, we'll go away for like two weeks or whatever. And then, you know, we're supposed to come. And she was like, no, no, Jen, we're not coming back. Yeah. And just one more thing. They've already killed about 2 million chickens. They are trying to kill as fast as they can to kill this disease. It's happening right now in the United States. They're killing mink. They're killing every bird. That's why it's jumped to wild birds. All it takes is one jump to one human being. And, and we are literally in that zone and we're going to be in another lockdown. And also as an environmentalist, I hate to say this, this is why we get so gloom and doomy. Climate change, we kept saying the diseases were coming. And as a, I work on the Endangered Species Act and wildlife, we have a lack of respect in, in the world for nature, for animals and plants. They provide us food, air, water, everything. And we just don't respect them. And they are just out there and trying to survive. And that's why I love The Last of Us. I never played the video game, but I'm kind of like, wow, a fungus. You know, like it totally makes sense. Something that we so don't respect coming up and bringing us to our knees. You know, it's interesting. Also, I just want to say one thing too about, about other pandemics. I read, did you guys ever read The End of Men? Um It was a science fiction novel that was published literally in 2019. The woman wrote it. I'm blanking on her name. I'll check it in a second. She wrote it and got it published in like, she wrote it in 2017, 2018. And she puts right in the thing. I wrote this book before the pandemic. And it is literally the pandemic. The disease only kills men. It does not kill women. So, and I read it last summer. So I already had the shooting was already published, right? And I was getting ready to publish Collision, which was coming out in September. So the next book will be March. So, and I literally had to pull over off the side of the road because I was like, holy shit. Like, how did she see this? And she must have been a doctor. She must have been public health. And I was like, as intrigued in the writer as I was in the story. And I was just like, it just gave me goosebumps. And um, she said right up there, I wrote this and published it before the pandemic hit. However, I know it's upsetting to people. So, and I was just like, wow, I love the book. Um, yeah, Christina it, it, Sweeney Baird. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and she's young. I mean, not that matters, but it's like she's like a young lawyer in like London. And the 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 start of it is in the UK. And it's just an intrigue. And it's mostly about humans. Like what happens to humans in a massive crisis where you're watching your sons die and your fathers die and your husbands die. And what do women do? So I I mean, I, I thought it was an amazing science fiction book. But again, it was like that catastrophic beginning. And if you read it, I don't know the ending. It's it's shocking and not shocking and fascinating. Why well, there's a comic book called the what is it the the la, it's uh, why the last man right they made like a show about it too but that's the premise is that some kind of virus kills off all the other men and he's weirdly immune and it's everybody is like trying to find him and use him and abuse him yeah because when I was first looking it up I got confused by that because I was like the end of men was just like you know New York Times it was like so I was like oh, I'll try it out. Um, and yes, there are many other premises like that, but I, I just thought she was a really good writer from, she tells a story through like all these different women's opinions of how it happens. It's good. It's cool. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. 
Let's start with what is your favorite book of all time, CK? Uh, okay, I try to think about this, and I just need to say that that's like asking me what is my favorite concert, musician, color, animal, like a million things enter my mind. And I think it's about the period of time and the mood I was in. So it's the most complicated question in the world. I will say Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver because I love that book so much. And I actually read it a few times, which is one of the few books I've ever read more than once. But it is a difficult and unfair question because there's so many brilliant books. Well, good then one. what is your least favorite book? Do we have the same thing there? Or you can name that one off the top of your head. That's like the books I've read recently. Again, it's unfair because Poison One Bio is the first time I read it was years ago, but it still res resonated that I read it again before I went to Africa. But like, I feel like I read a couple of books I didn't like that much. I shouldn't say that, right? That's not plain. You can totally say it. Here's the thing. It's a book that you don't like. Trust me, on this podcast, I've mentioned many books I don't like. Some of them repetitively because people bring them up. So... <laughs> You cannot like a book. I mean, that doesn't mean anything because not everybody's going to like every single book. Okay. I was not wild about Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. I just finished that a few weeks ago. I skipped through. I love Hillary Clinton, but I did not like that book that much. And I do love Pratt and I love all her other stuff. And she's big. So I mind saying this is not going to damage her at all. And I would say also The Goldfinch. Everybody loved that book so much. Yeah. Ooh, I did not like, I read it. And the last one, I will say this, was uh, Nikki and the Six. I read it. I thought it was okay. Uh, I know there's a movie coming out and the world loved it. I didn't like it that much. But these are also very strong writers and they have other books. And, and my saying this is not going to hurt anybody's feelings, I don't think. Okay. Um, what is your favorite book to movie? Hmm. I should know. Or TV it. show. Like you think they... It went to the bigger little screen and they did a good job. Um, okay, I've been drinking a little bit, so I'm going to like, okay, so like the issues are like, I always like the book more. So going over to the movie, oh, I would say this is Divergent. Like people say, oh, you're like a, a teenager. Yeah, well, well I, I tried to read the Divergent series and I was not impressed. And I thought the movies were somewhat better, not great. Oh, the book. Oh, are we doing the book is better or the movie is better? The, the movie is better. Uh, the, at this point, the movie is better. I don't even know, though, because you just took me on a journey and I'm like not even sure where we are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I would also say I read all the Twilight books and I thought the movies were better. And I feel like the other direction is hard. Like, was the book, was the movie better than the book? Like, not that's who was hard. it better? Where do you think they did a good job? Like, I think it's very hard to necessarily do better than the book. There are some cases where there are, and people have mentioned them on the show, and I can't think of any right now, but um, there are some cases where the movie was probably better than the, the book. But in most cases, it's where do you think they did a good job with it? Where do you think they did the book some justice with how they did it? I would say that one of the ones that blew me out of the water, this is like being a little kid. I read all the Little House on the Prairie books and I love them. Like I was a Laura Ingalls Wilder fan and I know there's issues with it nowadays, but when I was like in elementary school and then whatever happened, I watched the series and I was like, what the hell? This is not the books I was just reading. And 
I love the series. I love that interpretation of Laura and all the other stuff, but that was not the books. Um, so I think as a little child, I got the zone where like the books are so different than the movies. So I don't think I get as heartbroken or upset about things, but I, I feel like um, there's been some really good ad- adaptations, but mostly they're, they don't, the book is way better. <laughs> okay. Okay. What about, um, what, if you could be any lead character or any character from your books, who would you be? That's from my books? That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Because people, some of my friends are like, hey, Kate. And then they call me Kate. I'm like, no, no, no. She's nothing like me. I am a high-strung type A spaz versus on mean. In other books? Oh, I don't know. Like, what the heck? Like, I feel like, um, what was the question? (laughs) Which character in your book would you be? Which that's that's hard. You're super hard. I guess I'd have to be Rex, <laughs> right? <laughs> that seems. And that was an inappropriate response. Um, I would be like no, because I just feel like that's too hard. I mean, basically, there's only four characters that are really developed. Five by the end of the series. Well, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean if they're really developed. I mean, the fact is, you could be anybody. You could be the side character of side characters if you know the backstory. It's your book. It's going to be Sinclair's. It's his sister in Florida, right? Oh, she's awesome. Charisma. I love her. Okay, I would say charisma. Thank you, Jen. (laughs) I am charisma. Okay, great. Jen, you're not supposed to be answering the actual questions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, now you get to ask some questions because you got in the way. I got, I got in the way. All right. Do you finish a book if you're not enjoying it? I cheat it. Like if I really don't enjoy it, I'll go and read the end and then I'll start reading the book backwards. So that's unfair. And it's a harshness. Like I will, I am committed. I will read anything, but if, if I'm really bored or I feel like I, I will go backwards. I did that with Rodham. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to beat up on Curtis Settenfeld anymore. Um, do you read paper books or do you read on your phone, digital? Do you have a preference? All of it. I do Kindle. I do paperback. I do library. I do um, Audible. Like if I'm driving, you know, like I, I, whatever, whatever. I do them all. If you're reading a paper book, will you like write in it or fold down the pages? Or do you, you are your books like precious and sacred and you can't mar them? Uh, no, it always kills me at the end of the book. I'm like, oh, I love that line, or I love that sentence. Did I mark it? Did I mark it? And I go back, and there'll be like folds. I wish I marked up books more. Like, like I feel like the older I get to, the more I'm like, when I feel like I read something that it, it touches me or it's very intense, I I should I should make a point of acknowledging it more. So, oh, I would mark up a book in a minute. But I am big on sharing books. Me and my friends, like, we bring over bags of books and we're like, oh my God, these were all awesome. And it might take a year or two to like dig through it. Or you can say, no, that's totally hard. That's not going to be for me. But I like sharing books as an environmentalist, right? You know, I'm always like, don't throw them away. Don't like share. No, Mm -hmm. I think that if you get done with books, you should take them to local, um, not uh, like little free reader libraries or local YMCA's or local um, nursing homes. They love books. Like do, 
not get rid of your books, but it drives Jen nuts. I like reading my books in like bathtubs and stuff like that. So I always tell people when people have a book and they're like, oh, I'll let you read it. I'm like, I'm just going to let you know the condition that book is going to come back to you in. So you can choose whether or not you're handing it to me because I don't pretend that it's not going to get spine cracked, like pages folded. It depends on the book, right? Like there are certain books that are like expensive and pretty and you're like, okay, that one you don't read in the tub. But then other books, it's like, no, just mark all over that thing. That's why I have 75 copies of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's true. Um, I had a question. It was um, art. It was about art. What's your favorite like art piece, piece of art? Hmm. Wow, that is so hard. <laughs> it's crazy, too, because my little sister is an You mean like painting or like other forms of art besides yeah, whatever uh, art? Huh. What pleases your eye will go with, with visual. So difficult. And it's because this is crazy. Like my little sister is an artist, like, and, and my older sister is an artist in her own way. And I always said, I'm not an artist. I am a science. I am not an artist. And then when I started writing, I'm like, Oh shit, I am an artist. Writing is a just a different form of art. Um, and so yeah, that's like almost, I feel like I've been like the snotty person at the Louvre saying, oh, whatever, it's a painting because I was programmed to think I'm not the artist. Um, but actually I love painting and I love murals and I love anything with nature, anything that has wildlife or sunsets or water or, you know, reefs. But I know that might not be considered high art. Like I just, I, I love, yeah, I do love art. Ooh. that's good okay what is your favorite weird food combination okay this one you're gonna hate i'm a vegan and i became vegan during the pandemic that was the other thing i was always pescatarian vegetarian then during the pandemic i learned how to cook as well as write and now i'm full out vegan and i so the stuff i did in the past i'm just like i was a what like a scoundrel like i would eat like tuna fish with like Doritos and pickles and smash it all together. That was my favorite food. And also like my favorite hangover food. And now I'm just like, oh, how did I eat that? Um, but my uh crazy food is I don't know if that's crazy because I feel like I'm I was probably not that crazy, but and then that's the one thing I miss. I miss tuna fish smashed up with like potatoes and potato chips and yeah. Uh, well, I think tuna fish and you know, I've never had tuna fish and potato chips like that. Um, but Doritos, um, I, we're totally grossing Jen out. You can tell by the look on her face. It's pretty awesome. Tuna fish is not my favorite in general. So <laughs> That's I, my favorite junk food. I'm going to eat tuna with something crazy. What is your favorite casual outfit? Uh, this, my, my awesome May the Forest Be With You t-shirt. <laughs> I like it. it. Mixes my love of the environment and my love of Star Wars. Um, like casual of it? Oh, I am also, I work out a lot. So 90% of the time I'm in running clothes or like something. And, and I am also a lobbyist. So I wear suits all the time. I hate suits. I, and now during the pandemic, you only have to be like suited halfway down, which has been so awesome. But now we're back up. We got to go back up to the hill. We got to talk to these people. You have to dress like they dress. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely, um, I think it's interesting. My favorite were the people not paying attention behind them for mirrors and stuff that were wearing like boxer shorts and stuff on the bottom and the suit jackets. One has to be aware of one's environment when one is dressing like that. What's your favorite writing snack? You're vegan. What's your favorite writing snack? Pistachios would be number one. Number two would be almonds. Number three would be peanuts. And then if I'm really having some weird intensity would be like crackers. Yeah, I know I'm boring. It's basically salt, right? And they're delicious. The pistachios are the greatest thing that nature has ever created. I'm surprised you didn't say those little seaweed things, you know, little salty seaweed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, Jen's not thrilled. I will let no, you know. We, that did, we did a potluck and my student, one of them brought in at one point those seaweed and my students went crazy for it. I was like, oh, okay. okay. Seaweed bites are a big, a big hit. Well, Jen is eating an Uncrustable. I would be eating an Uncrustable. That is accurate. Yeah, it is an accurate statement. Very true. Jen oh, eats well, like a middle school person. I would, I do. I, I eat, well, unless Remy feeds me, that's. I eat out of a box. Um, what was the last show that you binged? Oh, totally. The the Last of Us. Like, literally, I think I watched the last episode last night. I was I feel like I, I was slow to the game on it, but it was fantastic. That's on HBO. It's like a, it was a video game, and it's the fungus among us, and it's, like, horrifying and also deep, and I really enjoyed it. Um, you, you mentioned Star Wars. So what's your favorite Star Wars? One, New Hope, blew me out of the water when I was seven. I saw it like a hundred times. My parents treated movie theaters in the 70s like babysitters. So they would give you like your 50 cents and they would just be like, go, I'll pick you up at seven. And I just watched it over and over and over. The whole series, just like, and then I got mad. because I was talking to my sister the other day, but it was like, all of our boy cousins had the toys, but we weren't allowed to buy the toys. Like I didn't, like we couldn't afford them, but also we just, it was not, like they had freeing the, the ships and the and the characters. And yeah, that one just blew me out of the water. I like that you said one. So I'm just going to high five you from a distance because the first one was one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I pretend the other ones don't exist. My boyfriend said that to somebody the other day. They brought up something and they're like, he literally interrupted and went, she doesn't acknowledge the existence of those ones, so you should just move along on this question. <laughs> They're all fine and oh, fun. shut up, Jen. Seriously, I like all the things. I know you do. You always like I all the things. Appreciate variety. Um, what are you reading right now? Again with the gloom and doom, but I just finished the Underground Railroad like a week ago and it took a long time because I only read, I have so much going on. I only read like a few minutes before I go to bed as like a treat. And um, by Whitehead, it was super good. And at the same time, I finished a couple of weeks ago, The First Conspiracy, which is about George Washington. I switched back and forth. I read science fiction. Um, the First Conspiracy is not, is not fiction but it's a written like fiction. And then, you know, like, like I just try to switch all the time because there's so many freaking awesome books. It's like hard. And also like, you know, with the writing and the working and the life, like reading is a little treat. So um, I, I try to be careful with what I'm like reading. I actually have a, 
another book by somebody that you guys know in my queue up, which I'm going to start this week. And so like, that'll be my little treat as we go forward. But um, I, before that I read the Gollum and the Ginny. I know that was a long, that'd been out for like years, but I love that book. I read like, so I jump, I like jump around a lot. I'm like what I'm reading, but that was all very recent. Oh, also, I read The Crawdads. Where The Crawdads Sing? That was probably like six months ago now. I enjoyed the book. I saw the movie. The movie, I like the book better. Okay. I haven't seen the movie. Have you read the book? Mm-hmm. I listened to the book, and the person who does the narration on the book is pretty amazing. Like, I have to say, the narrator totally brings, I don't think I could have read the book, if that makes sense. Like because of getting into so much detail about the environment and the creatures and stuff like that takes me way flashbacky to um, the Plains of Passage, which fucking hate that book because all it was was about grass. It was in different kinds of grass and how it affected the cultures around it. (laughs) Fucking grass. I learned how to nap steel from those books. Like I could make an arrowhead. <laughs> okay, you know what? You also think <laughs> not not steel, stone, nap, stone napping. I just said the wrong word. Damn it, Cody. Yeah. And you're not even drinking. I but know. needless to say, I love the clan of the cave bear where um wild horses. What was that? Where the The Valley of the Horses? Valley of the Horses. Yeah. Fucking Plains of Passage can fuck that book was like this huge. It was like an encyclopedia of fucking grass. But I feel very much where the crawdads sing would have got me down that path had I not been listening to it in the way she told the story, which I think is very interesting because I think some books, and this is just me personally, because now I have more time to do audiobooks than I do physical books because I use them when I'm driving or doing chores or like I, because you can't do, you can't read while you're driving because apparently that's illegal, whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> chores. So, uh, but I think it, it does make a difference on some stories, at least for me, to listen to the audiobook versus, you know, the the physical. And then sometimes I start listening to the audiobook, and I'm like, this narrator fucking sucks. I can't even listen to this story. Their voice drives me crazy. <laughs> As that happens, okay. Go ahead, Jen. You had a question. I I do. Okay. So, what happens if you have an author that you like? Um, and they put out a new book, but they have done or said things that are unpopular. Can you still support their art without supporting the individual? That is like such a modern question, right? Like it's, it's everywhere. I would just say this too. Like anytime anyone says, do you consider yourself woke? I'm always like, ask them to define woke before you commit or freak out or deny, you know, like it's, it's just, the world is changing very quickly. I would say. Like, I love Bukowski. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him, but he was like a writer. And like all through grad school, I went on these drinking binges and I would just read Bukowski. He was so bad and inappropriate and wrong. He's in William William S. Burroughs category in my brain. Like the two of them are very, and then like Henry Miller's below them, but still like horrible human beings, but fun art. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I mean, he's dead now. So it's like, I'm not having this, crisis of like, will I continue reading his books? But it is like, it's, we, we just live in this time, you know, like where it's just like crazy. There's a reckoning about 
people and their choices that they made. And do, do we celebrate them? Like, that's the thing. It's like, can you just acknowledge their art and what they thought and felt at the time and learn from it? Maybe that's different than celebrating them. Like, I feel like there's this political issues. I don't, it's very complicated, but I would say, yes, there are, I have several writers that I have always liked that I worry were bad guys. But Brokowski was like, like also going through, I mean, he was a sexist pit, whatever. I don't know. Don Lemon is a sexist pit. So it's just like, it's just, the world is very complicated. And yeah. I think there was, uh, you know, we have social media now, which people didn't have back then, you know, newspapers, whatever, newsletters, maybe if they ran into somebody, but um, I think it's a very interesting topic because, <clears throat> you know, like we have J.K. Rowling, who's one of the biggest, you know, shitheads right now when it comes to trans rights. And I'm, I'm personally saying it that way. Right. And you go back and you look at what Harry Potter meant. Right. In the Harry Potter movies and the Harry Potter stories and what that meant. And you also like for me. Ender's Game was one of my favorite books growing up. It was one of the first books I couldn't put down and I read all the way through, right? And I was 13 or something like that. But Orson Scott Card is uh, he's a, shit a human racist, being. shitty human being, right? And so I go, okay, what, what do you do with that? Because you have this very pleasant memory attached to this experience and then you have the human that does this thing that's horribly wrong. And I get like it, it's supporting them to continue to purchase their art or things around their art. Now, in the case of J.K. Rowling, I don't know how much she actually owns Harry Potter anymore because Universal bought a lot of it. So who knows if she's making money off of that part still or what the deal is or, you know, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that because I have no fucking idea. But um, I, I do think it's really interesting, and, and that happens with actors and all sorts of people that do something, proven do something. Can you watch House of Cards? Like, knowing what Kevin Spacey did. So that's something that's, like, proven, right? I don't know if Kevin Spacey was proven anymore, because I think he won that court case. Did he? Oh, Yeah, right. he won oh, the court I'm case. Sorry. He won one big one, but there's yeah. a second one coming up. So, but, but wait, let me just say too, like, I feel like I felt guilty loving Little House on the Prairie books like a long time ago because of the, her opinion and her family's opinion about Native Americans, which was um, actually interesting and deep because like, it's just complicated, right? Like, do you hate Laura Ingalls Wilder because she was scared? Like, what, like we also learned through her and the TV show was way better. Like they, they made things more politically palatable about her family. And I would also add this one about not just um, Harry Potter, which is a big one, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And I was obsessed with Joss Whedon and I thought he was a rock star. And then the more you heard about like his relationships with charisma and Dawn and other characters, but I saw them at Comic-Con a couple of years ago and uh, Charisma and some of the other actresses. And they said, Buffy has become bigger. Buffy is about women empowerment. Buffy is about, it's not just about Joss Whedon being a douchebag. So just love the show, love the comic books, love, like move forward with the character and don't let Joss Whedon destroy everything for everybody. And I thought that was freaking awesome because it kind of like releases us from like, 
Michael Jackson a little bit and JK Rowling, like if they're not receiving money for what they like, if it's like, I don't, it's, it's difficult. Like, I don't want to make them wealthy for the abuse they did, but at the same time, they created amazing things. No, I agree with you about the gossip. I read his biography and stuff like that, because I think Buffy was huge about female empowerment, regardless of, and I'm not taking away the behind the scenes stuff and what's been proven and stuff like that. Right. But that entire thing changed generations of girls. Like it just did. It brought a female, younger female badass to the scene who was the hero and didn't need a boy to save her. Like it was one of the few that existed at all. You know, it was a big difference. And you go, do you destroy that and the effort and art that other people put into creating that? It's kind of like with the JK Rowling, and then we need to actually ask you a couple more questions that are, are fun. But the JK Rowling, what I thought was interesting is they did um, what is it, a 20-year a look back or something like anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I watched that, right? And she was, not. she was not on it. They used tape recorded things because I believe Universal went, no, yeah, you're not going anywhere near this. Like I firmly believe that there's a, a degree of responsibility you have as a celebrity and to be very careful. Um, and I don't want to say regardless of your views, because I don't think people should have the views, for instance, that she has. But um, you have a responsibility because you created something that a lot of people have invested themselves into. And then you do this thing over here that takes away where all of the cast came out and went, we don't support what she's saying, but we put X amount of time of our lives into creating these movies and bringing this entertainment and bringing these characters and stuff like that to you. And you don't want to take away from all the effort that all of these amazing people put into creating this art that this other person had. So it's a very weird, like, where do you go topic, I think. It's, and it's hard. You know, and as a fan of Harry Potter, which I very much am a fan of Harry Potter, it's very hard for me because, you know, I probably would junk punch J.K. Rowling if I saw her in person because, like, give me a break, lady. But this other thing. So let's let's go to funner topics right now. Not that this isn't important and doesn't need to be addressed, but cake or pie down. Cake or pie. Cake. Cake. Ooh, I love cake. I like pie, but I love cake. What's your favorite flavor of cake? Mm-hmm. Um, vanilla cake with like a fancy icing. And I like, there's so many good vegan bakeries in DC. Like I have to stay away because they're so divine. And like the more like sugary. Yeah, I'm, I love cake. I just don't think pie is sweet enough generally. Usually it's more healthy, right? It's got like fruit and stuff. You obviously love a great British baking show because when they do American pies, the first thing they say is how ridiculously sweet the American pies are in relation to stuff they make over there. Too much sugar. Um, Do you have a favorite pen? Like what's your brand of pen, your go-to? What do you write with? Uh, I am the worst on that. I just finish them and then I throw them. And Jeff's always like, my husband's like, you're an environmentalist and you're just burning through these pens and I'm trying to find ones that are refillable. And I know I'm awful. And I will even say to him, like, 
here's your favorite pen. And I just destroyed. So, yeah. And I write when I am in meetings, especially Hill meetings or boring meetings, I write everything down because that's the only way to keep my attention. Because the minute I start typing, I'll start typing a story or something more interesting to me. So writing to me is like a chore and not a chore, but it keeps me engaged. I write a lot of stuff down. Like even now talking to you guys, I've been writing a bunch of stuff down and I'm like, it's, I just do. Okay. Um, So final question. If you could be any fantastical, oh, actually, I got a better fantastical question for you. I just thought of it. What color would your lightsaber be? I'm torn between green and blue. I'm torn between the earth and the oceans. So I'm going to go with green. Okay. Okay. Do you see that, Jen? Pulled that one right out. Okay. I like like it. Thank you. Shameless self-promotion time, CK. Where can people find you in your books? www.ckwestbrook.com. Join my newsletter. You can see where I'm coming. I'm going to be in doing two book signers of Florida. I'm going to be at AwesomeCom in DC. I just want people to come out and talk to me. And I also have like Instagram and that's all ckwestbrook.author. And, but the most important thing is the newsletter. Please join my newsletter. It's freaking awesome. You want to see some fantastic pictures and funny jokes and the latest news. Okay. Yay, yay, yay. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Thank you. This has been awesome. So much. I love this podcast. Thank you. And I'm a little bit drunk. I am literally a little bit drunk. Thank you. That's okay. Me too. That's what this podcast is about. Not Jen though. She's our designated podcaster. So drink all my tea. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today has been J.M. Paquette. Do not forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest has been C.K. Westbrook, and we will see you next time. Ooh.